What's the difference between a futon and a crouton? One's a little sofa bed, the other's a little floater bread. <laughs> Sorry, I made myself laugh. That's not very professional. I've got croutons on my mind today, not because uh, this is a food podcast, but because for some reason, whenever I think of the plant croton, into my mind pops an image of a crouton. So <laughs> I apologise for that. But today we're talking about croutons. Plus we'll be hearing from listener Carol and I'll be answering a question about setting buds. <laughs> what on earth is that about? We'll find out shortly. It's been a busy old time on the Patreon front with Sarah becoming a crazy plant person, Alice, Meg, Colette and ML all becoming legends and Julia, Stephanie, Natasha, Esther and Armando all becoming super fans. And thanks to Laura for her donation on co-fi.com. If you want to make a one-off donation to the show, that's a great way to do it. And every pound or dollar you send really does help keep the show going. Great news about the Legends of the Leaf crowdfunder, which is powering on. I'm at 43%. It's very exciting. Every time I look at the page, somebody else has pledged their support, which is amazing. I did get a question from Stephanie saying that uh, she wanted to pledge for the book at Christmas time. And would she still be able to? The answer, quite simply, is yes. I'm expecting the crowdfunder to take at least three months, which would mean that I might reach my target by Christmas time. But even once I've reached that target, you can still pledge for quite a long time afterwards to pre-order the book ahead of publication. So don't panic if you haven't pledged yet, there's still plenty of time. Don't know what I'm talking about? Legends of the Leaf is a book that I'm going to be writing about houseplants, profiling 25 iconic plants and explaining how they got to be in our homes and how they love to grow. It's going to be beautiful, it's going to be inspirational, it's going to be informative. So please do go and check that out. If you go to my website, janeperone.com, there's a link straight from there. Still getting feedback on the potting mix ingredients episodes. I got a DM on Twitter from Simon who suggested spent mushroom compost as a plant substrate. He says, typically this is used for outdoor cultivation, but I've seen plenty of people who grow mushrooms throw their spent mushroom substrate into their house plant pots with the occasional mushroom popping up. It's a good point, Simon. Yes, there's absolutely no reason why you can't use spent mushroom compost. Just bear in mind that it is quite alkaline in nature. So if you've got any ericaceous or acid-loving plants, which includes things like most of the carnivorous plants, then this might be one that you want to avoid. And I had an email from Elaine who was asking about perlite and vermiculite and whether there was any truth to the rumours she'd seen that they are cancerous. It's a really interesting point. There was a problem with vermiculite uh, being contaminated with asbestos in the US. And I think that the mine involved was in Montana and I think it closed in, in about 1990. So 
unless you're using some very old bags of vermiculite <laughs> that you found somewhere, um, it should be fine. It's very well regulated now and perlite and vermiculite are not listed as carcinogens by any of the major science organizations that I've come across. And that said, and I did say this in the episode, but I'll say it again, do do be cautious when handling perlite and vermiculite because they're very dusty substances and some mixes can be more dusty than others. So do wear a decent dust mask and wet them in the bag before you start to use them so that you don't get huge clouds of dust, which are really bad for your lungs. And let's face it, we all need our lungs to be on top form right now. I mean, and as I've already said, they are non-renewable. So, you know, in an ideal world, we are looking for more sustainable options to replace perlite and vermiculite. But the hunt continues on that front. And I also got a comment from C. Jameson on a post I'd written about IKEA and their houseplants, suggesting that I lobby them to start offering Swedish ivy, aka Plectranthus vertil. Oh, I can't just, I just can't say this. It took me about 10 times when I mentioned this in the last episode. Plectranthus verticillatus. There we go. Swedish ivy. It's easier to say. Uh, tried to get them to add it to their selection of plants and why not it's a really good suggestion c jameson uh it's a tough plant and it's swedish and of course ikea is uh swedish so yeah great idea i shall tweet ikea and see what they say Thank you also to those of you who have left a review for On The Ledge. The hunt for the youngest listener continues. The plants are taking over, says my seven-year-old daughter has really got into houseplants over lockdown and loves listening to your podcast. I love it too. And we are both learning so much from my daughter. Keep up the good work, Jane. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. I'm glad to hear that you are enjoying the show. Mother and daughter together. Thank you also to Baking Mama of Three and Jerry's Garden and Smeesh for leaving five-star reviews for the show. You are all legendary. And now, let me transport your ears to Surabaya in Indonesia to meet this week's listener. Of course, unless you're already in Indonesia, in which case, just stay where you are. My name is Carol. I'm an American, but I live in Surabaya, Indonesia, which is probably one of the biggest cities that you've never heard of. I live with my husband and my four-year-old daughter, and we moved here about two years ago, and we've rented a house, and we have, for this city relative to other people, we have a good amount of outdoor space, although it's mostly like a cement patio. So I grew a lot of things out on the patio in that amazing tropical sun. I've always loved growing things since I was a kid, but it's been kind of an adventure adapting to a new climate and learning about a lot of the different types of plants that they have here that I wasn't used to. So that's been our journey. Question one. You've been selected to travel to Mars as part of the first human colony on the red planet. There's only room for one houseplant from your collection on board. Which plant do you choose? I think for going to Mars, I would take the, the mango tree that I have growing in a pot. It has not produced fruit yet, but I think if I were living on Mars, mangoes would be a great pick-me-up, assuming that our greenhouses or whatever we had were sufficient for it. Question two. What is your favorite episode of On The Ledge? My favorite episode is probably episode 63 about palms, because oddly, 
Even though I live in like paradise for palm trees, I killed a lot of them. I think maybe I've been repotting them a little bit too deep and they get stem rot and for some reason ants seem to like them. But anyway, that episode helped me with my palm trees. Question three, which Latin name do you say to impress people? I use Latin names a lot in my head to impress myself, but I think a lot of people that I know just would not be impressed by them. But one of my favorite plants that I have is Calathea ornata, and I love that plant. And I think for a lot of plants, I've been learning their Latin names because they have a local name and an English, but I, I don't know the English name since I only started growing it since I moved to Indonesia. So I just learned the Latin name instead of whatever name it had in English. <laughs> Question four, crassulation, acid metabolism, or gutation? I'd have to say gutation. I would love to see that, but it is so hot here and my plants dry out very quickly, so it seems like a beautiful dream to me. Question five, would you rather spend 200 pounds on a variegated monster or 200 pounds on 20 interesting cacti. I think I couldn't bring myself to spend so much money on one plant, especially since they are so cheap where I live. I mean, I can go to the, the plant market and spend like, I don't know, 20 American dollars and bring home a trunk full of plants. So I probably could buy a hundred unique cacti for that price. <laughs> I recently, I've been really into on my wish list is uh, cacti like epiphyllum and I, I always saw pictures of them as kind of like a foliage thing but then I realized when I looked them up I found learned their local name and looked them up in Indonesia and they bloom so beautifully because they really have the, the sunlight here that allows them to do that so that's what I would want I would want a yard full of those Thank you, Carol. And if you want to be featured on Meet the Listener, drop an email to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. Lots of you have been in touch for instructions on how to take part. So we've got a nice stack of listeners lined up. But if you're from a place that we haven't featured yet, or you've got some interesting tale to tell, then do get in touch because it's fantastic to hear from all you lovely listeners. And now it's time to talk crotons. I've been trying for some time to convince an expert on this particular species to come on the show and talk about it, but no one has so far come forward. So I'm afraid you're stuck with me wibbling on. <laughs> this is a plant that I have grown in the past and in the last few weeks in preparation from this episode, I have bought another specimen. Uh, the trouble with the croton aka Codeum variegatum, is that this plant, well, it's got a bit of a bad rap over the years and you can kind of see why it is one of those plants that some people really struggle to grow. We'll discuss why that might be shortly, but first let's just take a look at the basics on this one. It's a member of the Euphorbiaceae family, in other words, the spurges. So if a leaf gets snapped off, you will find that the plant exudes a milky sap, which is toxic. The plant is often described as mildly toxic. Yes, you don't want your baby slash toddler slash dog slash cat munching away at this one. So it depends uh, how much control you've got over your children slash animals as to whether this is a suitable plant for you. This is a plant that's native to places like Sri Lanka and Malaysia and southern India and it's a shrub that grows up to 
about almost two meters tall in its native home and makes a kind of shrubby layer uh, below trees or in scrubby land. But when you're growing it in your house, you're more likely to see specimens that start off at a, you know, a few centimetres tall. And you might get a plant that grows, you know, that does grow. In fact, I saw one the other day on Facebook Marketplace, a big uh, croton for sale that was at least two metres tall. So they can grow big. But if you want to keep your plant small and you happen to be successful with it, you can prune it to keep it at a reasonable size. Where does the name croton come from? It's a bit confusing this. I'm going to st- going to explain this as clearly as I can. So croton is a common name for this plant, also known as Joseph's coat, or I've seen it listed as rush foil, but I've never actually heard anyone use that particular name. So I don't know if that's one of those very outdated names, but I'll mention it just in case it's the common name where you live. Croton is actually a genus within the Euphorbia family that has up to 700 species in it. And that's totally separate from Croton that we're talking about today, which has the Latin name Codeum variegatum. So it's this confusing one, but The name croton, that comes from a Greek word, krotos, meaning tick, and that is used because the seeds of other members of the actual croton genus have got seeds that look like ticks. It's all very confusing so far, isn't it? But we'll we'll plough on. So yes, call this a croton, call it a codeum, but just remember it's separate from the genus croton, which is also part of the spurge or euphorbiaceae. Now, these plants are hugely popular as houseplants, and were even more so in the last two centuries, when if you read any houseplant catalogues, you'll see loads of mentions for crotons. And it's not really surprising because they are incredibly colourful and bright. The variegation on the leathery leaves is absolutely unbelievable. It depends which cultivar you've got, but it can be any combination of green, yellow, pink, orange, purple. They really are a riot of colour. The leaves are glabrous. That might be a new one on you, but it means hairless, basically. So they're not hairy leaves. They're just leathery, beautifully variegated leaves. Um, Flower-wise, well, you're not likely to get flower from your plant growing it indoors. But if you do, it's a not too impressive inflorescence full of small whitish flowers. Not really the reason why you'd grow this plant. There's one other point of confusion about the Codeum variegatum. (laughs) This is another mess, so apologise if I plough my, as I plough my way through this. But don't confuse Codeum variegatum the croton, with a very, very similar looking garden plant, which is Orcuba japonica variegata, or the variegated Japanese laurel. Again, we have leathery leaves. This time they are splashed with yellow, which looks just like the croton cultivar gold dust. But this is really is an outdoor plant that is hardy in the UK and won't mind being frozen. Very different from the croton, which is definitely much more of a tropical plant. How can you tell them apart? Well, the Orcuba japonica usually has 
serrated edges to the leaves which are a little bit different from the croton that's the, the main way of telling and also if you keep one of these inside it's probably going to get quite unhappy quite quickly unless you've got an unheated house so that may be your other clue but I have seen people mixing the two up so it is worth looking worth looking carefully also orcuba japonica variegata can develop bright red glossy berries so that's another thing to look out for because the crotons fruits are much much smaller and tend to be sort of reddish black as opposed to the bright red berries of the orcuba and to add a final level of complication to the whole thing there is also a codeum variegatum cultivar called orcubifolia <laughs> so that one looks like the Orcuba, which in turn looks like the Croton. And suddenly we are in a hall of spotty leaved mirrors, are we not? But just make sure that you pick up the Codeum variegatum if you're growing it indoors. Which brings us to another interesting point about this plant. If you're listening in, say, Africa or India or indeed Florida, this may be very much an outdoor plant for you. If you've got those tropical climes, it will grow into a big, nice hedge or shrub or even a small tree if you have conditions where it very rarely gets below about 10 or 5 degrees centigrade. Here in the UK and in the temperate world, this is definitely a plant that needs warmth inside. And that's one of the reasons why it's not the most easy things to grow because despite those thick leathery leaves it does actually like a nice lot of air humidity this plant and if you don't provide it with that well that can be the cue for the plant to do a dramatic leaf drop which is always one of those things that drives us plant lovers crazy but this is a plant's way often of telling you that the air is too dry or the temperature is too low or maybe the compost is too dry because this plant likes to be well supplied with water throughout the summer months but beware because if you give it too much water then that can also be a start of root rot which is obviously something you need to avoid have i scared you enough yet you know what, I feel like I'm about to say, you know, the other thing that can make the leaves drop is looking at your plant in a funny way. And for some stressed croton owners, that may feel all too true. That's probably why I haven't had a Codeum variegatum for quite a few years, because I just thought, life's too short. It really is. But for your benefit listeners, I have actually decided to bite the bullet and get one of these plants. Do you want to join me while we go and have a look at it? I haven't checked it for a couple of days, so who knows? It might be a bare stem by now, but hopefully not. Right, uh, okay, I'm going to head in the house and let's check out how my Codeum variegatum Petra is doing. I've just had to uh, delay my daughter switching on Buffy the Vampire Slayer in here for five minutes so I can do some recording. So I can't be too long, <laughs> otherwise I shall invoke the wrath of a teenager, which uh, is not a good idea. But here we are ready to look at Codeum variegatum Petra and it's here among my Sansevieria's Arafidophora tetrasperma that's rapidly getting out of hand and also Wolfie's in here as well in case you hadn't realized uh, a Hoya carii and they're sitting on a round table that I a low round sort of coffee table that I got for free 
when somebody was chucking it out and it's rather handy for plants because it's got a sliding lid so you can store stuff inside it. Wolfie, hello, do you want to be in this recording, darling? Hello, darling. Yes, I know. So, <laughs> let's have a look. Just going to move aside this rather lovely... That Wolfie, I'm trying to record love. I'm just going to move aside this rather lovely bird's nest Sansevieria and have a look at how my Petra is doing. Okay, now the good news is so far I'm daring to tug on a couple of leaves and there seems to be no damage. Now you can hear that the plant is standing on a good supply of expanded clay pegballs or laker. So that's adding humidity to the area. And I'm just going to lift it out and take it towards my grow light so I can actually see how it's doing. Because it's a bit dark in here. Uh, okay, so yeah, no leaves are falling off. That's good. But I am a bit worried that there's a bit of brown, not brown, there's a bit of a uh, tiny bit of mould growing around the base of the stem. Now that's a worry. Uh, yeah, I think the compost is possibly a bit too dry for this time of year. I haven't watered this plant since I got it, but it's very, very sensitive to too much water. So that may just be a consequence of that, but it's looking okay. I, I'm gonna make sure that that laker below is only just damp so that it doesn't allow the plant to get too much water. But the leaves on this plant are really lovely. Green with pink venation down the midrib and the backs of the leaves are a darker red and it's a lovely little plant so so far so good for this particular specimen i'm a bit worried about that little bit of moldiness but the plant itself seems nice and firm so let's have a look underneath yep nothing to report there so so far so good with this plant as i say it's on that laker just to give it a bit of extra uh, humidity but I don't want it to end up being too wet so I'm just going to make sure that laker yeah that's fine I'm going to put it back in there and just not look at it too much in the hope that it will just do its thing and be happy I'll put a picture of it in the show notes and I'll report back on as to how it's doing while I'm here I'll also just say that I've got a lovely Sansevieria Metallica that I got off lovely listener June which is also doing really well it was a bit battered but it's growing a new leaf and looking rather fine so I'm happy with that and the Raphidophora tetrasperma which I think came from a listener called Dave thank you Dave was it you Dave I think it was is doing really well in fact it's going a bit crazy right now I think that's a cutting <laughs> that needs taking on that one and it definitely needs a bit of a wash because I can see that the leaves have got rather dull from dust. So that's a job for the weekend. But right now I need to go and finish my podcast. So that's what I'm going to do. But glad to see so far no leaf drop, no horrific scenes of leaves spread around the base of the pot. So let's hope that will continue. Right, okay, I shall leave, leave Wolfie sitting on the sofa, tell my daughter she can watch Buffy, and head back to the office. Join me. 
Oh, Wolfie, you want to come now, do you? Okay, then. So there we go. In my excitement, I said the soil was too dry, but I actually meant too wet. I shall keep you posted on the mould. I hope it's just a bit of surface mould, but uh, yes, tricky times. One has to be very alert with this plant because it is really tricky. One of my favourite houseplant blogs, I think I've said this on the show before, is called Plants of the Strangest People. And they have a wonderful difficulty scale for growing plants. And guess what? This Codeum is number three on the list behind the Rex Begonia at 9.6. And joint second are the Poinsettia and Gardenia Jasminoides, which are jointly 9.5. And the Codeum Variegatum comes in th third or fourth, whichever way you look at it, at 8.2. So... I'm glad that they think it's a hard plant because I think it's pretty tricky too. It's one of those plants that you may get from the garden centre or buy online and it may look absolutely fine for quite a while. And then you might repot or something will change in the conditions. Perhaps winter comes and that's when the trouble starts. I've got a very handy reference book called Conservatory and Indoor Plants by Roger Phillips and Martin Ricks, which I recommend getting if you're interested in finding out more about plants in their native environments. And interestingly, when they're talking about Codeum variegatum, they say that this plant gets down to like a minimum of naught degrees centigrade so you may be thinking oh well surely why are you saying the plant needs to be warm in my house well bear in mind that this plant will be growing in the ground and get nice and big and robust in its native environment it won't be a small potted plant like you might have on your plant shelves and those small potted plants just generally are more susceptible to variations in conditions than a big established plant with a really big root system going into the ground so that's worth bearing in mind try to keep this plant out of drafts and keep conditions nice and steady over the winter, moist air, warmth, I'd say a minimum of about 16 degrees centigrade, that's 61 degrees Fahrenheit. It'll be very, very comfortable at a 20 degrees centigrade, 68 Fahrenheit type environment. But just make sure it's not getting roasted by your central heating in all the usual ways for increasing humidity it might be a pebble tray it might be grouping with other plants whatever you do you just need to make sure that plant stays nice and moist because a stress croton becomes a spider mite magnet an absolute spider mite magnet so that's what you need to watch out for mealybugs can also hit those are the two main pests for this plant one of the wonderful things about this plant is how many gorgeous gorgeous cultivars of this plant there are and in fact I found an academic paper from 2011 which says there are more than 300 cultivars in the world of this plant so that's mind-boggling really the one that seems to be preeminent right now is the one I have it's called Petra and the young leaves on this plant tend to have dark green between the, the veins and then the veins are highlighted with a beautiful gold colour. Older leaves, those veins seem to turn red. So you get this amazing combination of colours that's really quite stunning. 
as I say, this plant's been around for a really long time, so you'll find that there are old cultivars which are called heirlooms now because they've just been around so long. So you've got Veechii, which is uh, named after the famous Veech Nursery in Devon, which was around between 1808 and 1914. Um, so that's why, by the way, if you ever see a plant with Veechii in its name, it's probably got some connection to that British nursery. Now, interestingly, I was reading in Catherine Horwood's book, Potted History, that you were greeted at the entrance to Veatches by a uniformed doorman. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I want to, I, that's, if I ever fight, get myself a time machine, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be visiting all these nurseries <laughs> and getting the full doorman experience. Anyway, Veatches, uh, they had a, at one point, they had 86 varieties of crotons on sale. So can you imagine that? Another real heritage variety is called Souvenir de Thomas Rochford, which is another reference to a houseplant nursery called Rochford's. Uh, there's also Mrs. Iceton, which is rather nice. And then there's the classic gold dust, which is the one that people confuse with the variegated laurel, green leaves splattered with yellow Jackson Pollock style and they're rather lovely too. A bit less gaudy than the some of the other cultivars and if you're looking for other more restrained cultivars there is a cultivar called Tamara T-A-M-A-R-A which I've only seen online and not in person but that has got variegation that you Aroid fans will love. It's got different shades of green from dark to mint and then creamy areas on the leaf. It's it's really rather beautiful and if I was going to buy another Croton then that is definitely the one I would go for. I think it looks lovely. If you want to go the other end of the scale then there's one called Mammy. I've seen it spelt M-A-M-M-I and M-A-M-M-Y I'm not sure whether it's been changed to remove any slavery connotations or not, but uh, that would be interesting to know if anyone knows the answer to that. Anyway, this cultivar is super colourful and the leaves are kind of twisted and buckled in a kind of cool looking way. And you've got every conceivable colour on the leaves. So that's one to look out for if you're an exuberant kind of croton owner. The other one that I keep seeing popping up, certainly on UK nursery sites, is called Excellent. Apologies, I just have to say that like I'm in a, a Bill and Ted movie. <laughs> uh, so Codeum Excellent is kind of similar to Petra, actually. I can't see much of a difference between the two, other than possibly the leaves are a little wider and longer. But yeah, <laughs> give that a try if you fancy channeling Bill and Ted anytime. I mean, and the other thing worth saying about these plants and the difficulty of growing them is that amazing colour scheme is maintained by good exposure to light. So if you've got a plant that has gone rather greener than it was when you bought it, it's probably because it's not getting enough light. So if you've got an east or a west facing window, that's a good place to put it. In the winter, when light levels are lower, you could move it to a south facing window, which is what I've done with mine because it's kind of below a big bay window. It's not right on the windowsill where it might get chilly. It's protected from drafts, but it is getting good levels of light through the winter. Probably in the summer, a south facing windowsill would be too bright for this plant and you'd end up with it doing the old leaf drop trick. But 
drafts are what you do need to be careful of and also drops in temperature at night time. So if you're somebody who switches the old heating off at night, it may not be the plant for you. Repotting does seem to be one of those points at which your plant may go from happy to miserable. Certainly take care when repotting to not put it in a really large pot and leave a big clump of cold soil to the, for the plant to sit in because that will be a bad idea. And I would also say it's a good idea in this case to leave repotting until spring is well underway so that the plant will be in active growth and that should see off any problems in terms of too much of a shock. Potting mix wise, well, I think you'll be okay with a regular houseplant compost to be honest. As I say, the plant doesn't like to dry out too much in the summer, so you don't want to go too airy because then it will just get fed up of the dry roots. But yeah, I, I, I'm erring on the side of houseplant compost. Uh, you know, we could fiddle around adding bits of bark and whatnot, but I think on the whole with this plant, general houseplant compost will be okay. If you've got it sitting on a pebble tray where there's a bit of water there and possibly you could just insert a wick, uh, a nylon piece of string in the bottom of the pot just so the plant can suck up some more wa water when it needs to, that might be an easy kind of form of uh, self-watering that also makes sure that the plant doesn't dry out too much in the warmer months. And I'm aware we haven't talk, really talked about fertiliser on this one. It's a hungry fellow in the growing season. So I would give this a good dose of whatever your favourite foliage house plant food is. Maybe once a week during the growing season. And obviously scale that back as the plant slows down during the winter. And that's about all I've got to say on the quote on front. I will leave you with a quote from Dr David Hesseon, which I think I've read out on the show before, but it bears repeating. And it's this, your reward for creating the right conditions will be a wonderful bush, which will have the clear sign of the expert, the lower stem of a croton, fully clothed with leaves. So there you go. That's what we're all aiming for. So if you've got a croton that's a star player in your indoor jungle, then do send me a pic. I'd love to know the struggles and successes you're having with this plant and if you've got any more special tips for looking after it. And now it's time for today's question, which is short but sweet, and it comes from Aaron. I'm sorry to hear that you're out of work in your creative role as a theatre artist, Aaron. But the silver lining of that is it's given you a lot more time to look after your houseplants, including a Thanksgiving cactus. Aaron notes that he's seen the beginnings of buds forming. He describes these as tiny, deep pink pinheads at the tips of, of the stem segments. Aaron's question is this. In my online research, I've read about Schlumbergera buds setting, but have found no explanations as to what that means. What exactly does it mean for a Schlumbergera to have set buds? This is a great question. I love this kind of terminology, which is just used and thrown out by, by plant people, myself included, without any explanation. And interestingly, when I went on a search and read through my books, I couldn't really find a definition for this either. My gut instinct and every usage I've seen of this word just tells me that set just means the fact that it's growing buds. In, just like we use the term set seed, you can set buds. 
And I guess it's used for forest cacti like this Thanksgiving cactus, the Schomburgera, because this is one of those plants that does do a very good job of suddenly dropping its buds, uh, i.e. the buds don't set and they end up on the floor. And this plant puts a lot of energy into flowering. So if there's any changing conditions which makes the plant think that life is not going right, for example, not enough water, some sharp drafts or chills, that's when it will drop those buds. So try to keep a steady moisture supply. I love wick watering with forest cacti. It really works well. Uh, you could also use a self-watering pot. Um, uh, so that way you've got that steady water supply sorted and I wouldn't move it around too much. I mean, there's a thing about, oh, don't touch it, don't turn it at all. I think it's fine to turn it round in the pot. That's not going to cause a major problem, which I think is what Mark Preston, my forest cactus expert, said in his interviews a fair few episodes ago. But, you know, don't shift it from one window to another window where conditions might be different because the plant may decide that's not what it likes and drop some buds. Also worth saying, finally, that some buds may drop just because, because sometimes like an apple tree will drop uh, some young fruit in June, what's called the June drop. Sometimes this Schlumbergeras will produce more buds than they can deal with. And the plant just thinks, hang, hang on, we've gone a bit bud crazy here and drops some buds and leaves loads left. So don't panic too much if you do lose a few buds. And if you get those conditions right, I should think your plant will be blooming before long, Aaron. Do hope that is helpful. And if you've got any thoughts about setting buds that I haven't mentioned, do let me know. It's always great to have the input of my very, very clever listeners. If you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop me a line. On the ledge podcast at gmail.com is the address. And if you can include as much information as you can, that is absolutely lovely. And you can also just use the contact form at janeperone.com, as Aaron did. this week's show i shall be back next friday for more chlorophyll based factual entertainment if i can call it that have a great week take care of your plants but more than that take care of yourselves bye music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, Chiefs by Jazar, and Overthrown by Josh Woodward. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes at janeperone.com for details. Music